Welcome to Pushing Forward with Alicia, a podcast that gives disability a voice. Each week, we will explore topics like confidence, ambition, resilience, and finding success against all odds. We are creating a collective community that believes that all things are possible for all people. Open hearts, clear paths, let's go. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia. I am so excited about this interview today. We literally have one of the most influential, successful, impactful people with disabilities. He's an innovator. He has opened the doors for so many people with disabilities. He's an advocate. He's a mentor. He is a coach. He's a friend. He's part of my family. I have Brad Parks. Thank you, Brad, so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend a little time with your good old friend, Alicia. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Brad Parks is the co-founder of Wheelchair Tennis. He founded the National Foundation of Wheelchair Tennis back in like, what, 80? 1980. Before you founded Wheelchair Tennis and had all this growth in your organization, it wasn't a sport that was recognized under those umbrellas. So for it to be recognized in Wimbledon and French Open and Australia Open and US Open and all these these professional events that it that that wheelchair tennis is under the umbrella now and competing in those stages it's a success on the ventures of inclusion it's absolutely in, it's huge in in 1981 i was at a banquet for the National Wheelchair Athletic Association they ran track and field and swimming and all the Olympic sports. They were the national governing body for the Paralympics. The commissioner of the the National Wheelchair Basketball Association came to me at the banquet for the 1981 National Wheelchair Games. He told me, he goes, Brad, you are wasting your time trying to develop this sport, wheelchair tennis. Wheelchair tennis is not a feasible sport. And I tell you what, that devastated me because I felt like I was playing wheelchair tennis that devastated me because I thought, you know, I'm pretty young. Okay. I, you know, when I started it, I was probably about 21 in 1980. I thought, am I kidding myself? I mean, I, I just didn't know, but it was years later when I realized there was a couple of situations where I realized that yes, we are playing. And I did run into this guy and he apologized. So it was a, a long road, but I mean, you look at it now and it's, mind-boggling to just see where the sport is today and and you know they're they're professional athletes making a pretty decent living and competing in wheelchair tennis so why tennis sure well i um played i don't know when i was about 12 years old i got my first tennis lesson and i did it with some other friends and so i had a, a couple guys that i played with growing up my freshman year in college I went to the University of Utah. My two main sports were snow skiing uh, and surfing. And I was competing in an in, in um, intermountain. They called it an intermountain. So throughout the Rocky Mountains, they had um, college-age kids. Um, they had um, freestyle um, skiing. Freestyle was, I guess, kind of a rebel-type sport for skiing in those days, you know, you had the racing and then freestyle and they had, it was professional. So there was a professional tour and they were, um, it was very popular in the early to mid seventies. So this is 1975. I'm a freshman in college. I did want it to go to school, but I also wanted to 
ski. So I'm going to the University of Utah. And I was injured in the very first competition. You know, we had to qualify to do backflips and different things to compete in this tour. You know, I just uh, was warming up for the competition that afternoon and I over-rotated the backflip and broke my back. So when I'm in the hospital and I finally come to the realization that I'll probably never walk again. So I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life? I was 18 years old. You know, I knew I wanted to eventually go back to college, but I also loved to, to do sports and to compete. And, and I, tennis was on my mind because that following summer, one of my goals was to become a better tennis player. So that was on my mind. And how I got into track was simply that I wanted to learn to move the wheelchair better. So I pushed a lot. I actually saw Dave Kiley, you know, remember Dave, right? Mm-hmm. I saw him compete in a, in a wheelchair race. And it just completely blew my mind. Um, the strategy, the pure athletic ability. I mean, I see this guy and I had heard about him and I, the way that he competed in this race, it just, it was so exciting. And they're competing in really basic wheelchairs, like almost, almost like that first wheelchair you had. Like almost like, like hospital style. Very clunky, heavy, big, uh, unfit, uncustomized chairs, correct? Exactly. So you'd, you would modify stuff in your garage with a hacksaw <laughs> or whatever. It was really rough. Um, and eventually they got to the point where they had bigger kind of air pneumatic tires in the front. And that gave it a little bit of a smoother roll. And then they started going to um, a, a push rim that was smaller. And so there, there was some things that were going on in those days. And it was a few years later when the chairs really started to come on. But um, is it safe to assume that you were part of that, that innovative technological space? Every wheelchair racer in my day um, was part of that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were guys making, we were all making them in our garage. And then I actually started I was one of the founders of the very first lightweight wheelchair company called Quadra Wheelchairs. We came up with this plan and everything, um, you know, we were pushing it along and, and then transitioning to wheelchair tennis. First tournament was in 1977. Um, so we did this clinic at, in Irvine, and that's where we met. Mm. Your parents read about it in the paper, and they brought you and your sister along. I don't even know if you're four. Maybe you're four years old. I've always been told that my parents approached you at this clinic and they looked at this sport as something that we could play as a family and wanted to see if you would teach both myself and my sister who's able-bodied. And you were so kind and willing to do that. And my claim to fame is, and you tell me if I'm wrong, because I've been telling the story that I was one of the first, if not the first kid that started playing tennis with you. And it was because my mom approached you and you were so willing to um, teach me these foundational pieces of my life that have impacted, you know, every time I'm speaking, I get asked like, what's the most foundational thing that, that you were ever taught. And it was that my parents threw me on the tennis court with you. And I became one with my chair through play. I became competitive. I became strong. I learned about fitness. I learned how to be a strong kid through play, which I think is a really, really, really impactful lesson for parents and kids with disabilities. And I was never a Paralympic athlete though. Now that you're talking about track, I remember you coaching me like 
you got to cross train and do, you do track and, do, and now I'm connecting the dots that the importance of being probably even a little bit better with my chair. And that came from you as well. Um, but these were huge for my life, huge. So this is such an important story of like history, not only that you created, so you founded a sport that was not there. You created this thing, this, this opportunity for people globally as playing played around the world from a professional standpoint where, you know, it started in, you know, cutting apart wheelchairs to creating the technology of the lightweight wheelchair that we all use now that is customized to our bodies and fits and allows us to, it's so important. You are the godfather. <laughs> like you're totally the well, godfather. Well, you know, uh, that, that clinic was, was a, a big thing because we did a, we've done clinics, you know, m- me and different guys and guys who I work with at Quadra done, done, um, many clinics and things over the years. And that clinic was different because after that clinic, then, you know, the guy who was running, teaching tennis on those courts was Dave Saltz and uh, Mike Jacobs. We all got together and we decided to form this organization. Um, This thing came, opportunity came along and I thought, you know, I'm going to give it a year to run this organization. Of course, 20 years later, you know, we're handed it off to the USTA. This was an opportunity that I couldn't let go. And I wanted to get this sport going. I loved it. I wanted to see more people playing. I felt it was important. A little setback with that guy from the basketball association who told me it's never going to work. We're told a lot. No, not possible. Can't, don't. I think to the theme of this podcast, pushing through the things that people think that we can't do. When you have it in your heart, you know that you can, that this is something you got to go for it. And that's exactly what you did. It's, it's powerful. This is a great success story of inclusion. This is taking something that was not developed, creating it, launching it, advocating for it, growing it. And then look at where we are today. The sport is embedded in able-bodied tennis tournaments. And on top of that, Brad, the equipment. I know that you helped guide my parents in creating equipment that fit my body, that I could move easier, that I could navigate my own space as well as I possibly could figure out independently. And it's so important, all these cool things that you've done. It was really fun to teach you because you actually, you and your sister was really fun. And and I had a great relationship with your with your mom and she was so good on the way she mothered you two and uh, she was an amazing lady your dad was an amazing guy too but you know your mom was who i pretty much you know dealt with all the time on your lessons and and uh it was a pleasure to work with you because you know you and your sister were both so athletic and, and i could tell right from the very beginning that you you had the gifts to be a great racer and i probably i'm not sure if i told you that but i, I can remember thinking that I remember talking to you about that at, during the sports camp, um, you know, that we started, you know, that was in 1981. So that was only a year. We had that camp a year after our organization. The first year, all we really did was a series of clinics. Um, We kind of started trying to bring the sport together because we had all these tournaments and we wanted to bring it under an umbrella within a year or two, we were doing exhibitions at Davis cup matches, but never at, and we were doing exhibitions and things at a lot of professional tennis tournaments, but never at the U.S. Open. Of course, you look at it today and 
they're making, well, there was well over a million dollars in prize money for wheelchair tennis this year. You wow. had juniors, you know, I don't even know, know this. There was juniors that were playing in the U.S. Open this year because, you know, they have able-bodied juniors for years playing in the U.S. Open. Uh, well, we had wheelchair tennis juniors. So it was history, not only a million dollars in prize money, um, and I think they expanded to 16 men and 16 women competing wow. um, in the U.S. Open for wheelchair tennis. Plus, they had, I believe, eight boys and girls. Wow. The inspiration from that camp came from, you know, David Kiley, who was also a wheelchair tennis player, but a very good wheelchair basketball player, very good at all sports. Um, but, you know, he actually was our camp director for that very first year. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Pushing Forward with Alicia. If you're an employer looking to motivate and inspire your team through the power of diversity and inclusion and learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace and how to include disability into your DEI efforts, please check out my keynote speech offerings on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on speaking. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I have Brad Parks. He's an innovator. He has opened the doors for so many people with disabilities. That camp, just to explain it a little bit, was once a year and it was for a full week. And we would get to be out of school for this week and we would get to go to this camp and camp had how many sports, probably like eight to 10 different sports, basketball, weightlifting, archery, tennis, track and field, swimming. It was the one time as a kid with a disability that you could go into an environment that you're on equal playing field with everyone else. I loved it because I felt like I could disappear in a crowd. I could go in the middle of the gym and you, I wouldn't be sticking out like, oh, there's the kid in the wheelchair. It taught me so many social skills. I met my husband at camp and you opened up so many doors by just creating the things that weren't, weren't there yet. And I mean, it's literally changed the world from there. I mean, let's toot your horn for a minute, right? Like we've got... Paralympic gold. You've been inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Can I have your autograph, please? <laughs> I mean, you've been, you've had a, a, many international awards. The amount of accolades and awards that you have achieved in your life in this sport and in this movement, most people will never even accomplish one of those things. I mean, congratulations. I don't know but I would imagine there were people on the committee who, when they finally did induct me, it was in 2010, you know, wheelchair sports and, and the disability movement, I don't know what you want to call it, had made a lot of progress, you know, with ADA and different things. So, um, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who were like going, no, we're not going to, we're not going to induct this guy into the hall of fame, but there obviously was some people who, who were behind it and, um, and supported it. And after I was inducted, you know, I figured I, I was going to be, I was going to be the only guy inducted. Well, then they formed a wheelchair category. So today you have a wheelchair category. So now you have the top two 
women players inducted, Monique Kalkman and, and Chantal Van Derendonk. And then you have Randy Snow, myself, and David Hall inducted into the International Tennis Hall thing. Well, now get this. This year, no able-bodied person was inducted into the tennis hall of fame, international tennis hall of fame, not one. The only two people who are being inducted this year is Rick Draney for being the, the best quad wheelchair tennis player. And then Esther Begeer. So, I mean, yeah, all these awards are fantastic. All I, but to be honest with you, all I wanted to do when I started the organization, all I wanted to do was get people to enjoy playing tennis. You're starting to create all these things. And you're also, I'm assuming, dealing with being a disabled person now. I had this thing in in my head that I didn't want my friends and people I know or my family or whatever to feel sorry for me and look down on me as this poor guy in a wheelchair sort of thing. And, and I wanted them to see me as just me. For me, you were the one example of somebody with a disability that I could follow. Whatever comes with the the creations and the impact that you've made in this world, you absolutely deserve. It's so important. And I love it that, that you kept saying, like, you just wanted people to see me for me. I get up on stage when I speak. If you look at the logo of my business, it's it's a heart and it says, see me. And that's all I must've learned that from you. All I've ever wanted is for people to see me for me. We need to start looking at people with disabilities for who they are and all these amazing, talented things that they encompass um, instead of just this like wheelchair. You know, the, you know, like even the lightweight wheelchairs, when that started being designed after um, I got hurt, I started going to UC Santa Barbara, halfway between Santa Barbara and Laguna Beach, Jeff Minnenbreaker lived. And I used to pop in and he made this lightweight wheelchair. You would see him in that chair all the time. And one day when I was coming back from college, I um, said, can I try your chair one day? And he goes, let's do it right now. And so we transferred. So we do that. I'm sitting in this chair. So what impacted me the most was I'm looking at him sitting in my chair. My chair was more of a hospital's type wheelchair. He was sitting in this one with no short back, no armrest, cambered wheels, pretty sleek looking. It was rough looking aluminum, but at the time it was really sleek and everything else. And I'm going, wow, you look so handicapped. And I go, I go, that's how I look. Wow. (laughs) And it was just the, the wheelchair Mm -hmm. and the wheelchair that we have today is a huge improvement over those. It's absolutely key that we all have the right equipment to get through what we need to get through. So I'm involved in this camp. Um, it's called the national wheelchair, um, um, national wheelchair camp. One of the things that they focus on one segment of the camp is how to kind of keep your chair in, in tune, you know, oh, I love that. keep it. Yeah. And that was something that I, I never even thought of when we ran our camp at teaching the camp people how to, even if as small as, 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 putting air in your tires and, and keeping those tuned up and making cleaning sure the hair out of the front wheels. <laughs> big part of it was the cleaning the hair out of the front wheels. I mean, and I do that on a regular basis now, just after that camp, um, because oh. it makes such a difference. And, you know, if the bearings go bad, it's pretty tough. I mean, I don't know if you or 
Marty know how to do that. But, Marty does, but I yeah, don't. Marty like, sure would have taught me this at camp, Brad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we found one thing we could have done. It really is. And it's so important because I know a lot of people who don't. And they, you know, you look at their tires and I say, hey, bring your chair over to the house and I'll 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 get it, get it all fixed up. It drives me crazy now. Because if you have if you have your tears tires pumped up to at least a hundred pounds, you know, let's say it's a hundred and 20 pound tire, or maybe even 140 pound tire, if you have at least 100 pounds. And if you have all the hair and gunk out of those front casters, what a difference it makes. You are flying, right? And it, it, it really makes such a difference. Where are we today? What am I doing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, one of the daughters is getting married, which I mentioned, and we're that's kind of the big thing for us. And Wendy is retired. And Nice. I, I would say I'm kind of semi, you know, retired. Um, we love to, I don't love to ski. So I skied 60 days last year, got a lot of skiing in and, and we, I have a mountain bike and I have a paddle board. Uh, we, you know, one day I was with one of my friends that I used to race with was a guy named Jim Martinson. And, and here we are riding our mountain bikes. We're up on this peak here, maybe, you know, close to 9,000 feet. And we're just looking out over these views. And I looked at him and I remember saying, could you ever imagine in in all your dreams that one day you and I by ourselves could be in this spot up in the mountains on a trail, nobody around but us, two disabled guys in wheelchair who use wheelchairs and could never have imagined that. Could never imagine skiing, could never imagine a lot of the things that wheelchair athletes are doing today. You're up at the top of the hill. You're with your buddy. You both have disabilities. You're in this amazing equipment. You're independent. You're free. You're doing whatever you want. There's a ton of opportunity. What's the pushing forward moment there? I think never giving up. It's so easy to give up and to let yourself go, to to be able to enjoy life, I think, to its fullest. You could have given up. I could have given up. We all could have given up and um, don't give up. It just plug away and, and trust and do the best that you can. Do the best you can. To see you and your success and how you're doing, it's it's like I feel like kind of proud like a parent would. You're total inspiration to me and you always have been. So. I love you. I'm trying to live up to your greatness. So. <laughs> It's a lot of work, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You're just doing what becomes natural, which is great. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for everybody out there who decided to listen. This is Pushing Forward with Alicia, and that is how we roll. If you're an employer looking to motivate and inspire your team through the power of diversity and inclusion and learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace and how to include disability into your DEI efforts, please check out my keynote speech offerings on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on speaking.